Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Are you tired of using Google Drive or Dropbox to send files to clients? Well, never get burned again with FilePass. I love and use FilePass exclusively for sending files to my clients. It's a cloud file sharing website specifically made by engineers for engineers. It's absolutely amazing. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash FilePass to check out the full feature list and subscribe today. Never lose another dime to burned projects. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Mix of Music podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host. Hold on, I do have a nickname for you, and I literally closed it out. I don't know why I did that. My lovely co-host, Lou Wielder of swords and lord of the boards. I like it. Uh, we, Can I make that my Dungeons and Dragons name? <laughs> so we, we've used that nickname in the past, but for an unreleased episode. We never are going to release that episode, so we decided to kind of repeat that. That's a good one. Thank you. Shout out to Ian, who is currently our intern. And when he applied for an internship with us, not only did he send us a cover letter and a resume, but a, a pretty... L- pretty long list i want to say there's at least 30 versions there's even one that says with a british accent where's the loo (laughs) oh man (laughs) that one one deserved this shout out uh so there's yeah so we're thankful for the the names the requests there um thank you shout out to ian kid in the box there thank you so much uh but this is a question that has been brought up multiple times on the stream uh, and then I had a couple people uh, one of the people that I want to shout out is um, Justin aka Young Lit Hippie that's his artist nice. name Young Lit Hippie asked me just DM me it's like the difference between the functional difference between a master bus versus mix bus or like an aux track um, and we'll talk a little bit about that today's episode we're talking about mastering and we're going to break it up into a couple different sections hopefully we're going to break it up um, if we can stay on task then I want to talk about Mastering from a mixer's perspective and mastering from a mastering engineer's perspective mm-hmm. um, and kind of what that means to you. 
So uh, let's talk about mastering. Lou, you've been mastering a lot recently. Oh, yeah. What is the secret to a good master, in your opinion? A good mix. A good good mastering engineer. Sorry, a good mastering engineer. <laughs> okay. Um, a good mastering engineer is somebody who will actually have the conversation before working on the master to understand what the intended goal is uh, versus assuming what the intended goal is. A lot of times you'll find two different types of mastering engineers, people who will take it to where they believe it needs to go. And uh, there are others that actually take it to where the intended goal is. Um, now, that sounds very vague, isn't it? Um, now, for instance, uh, when I'm mastering for people like, let's say, Bob, uh, who's a really good mastering engineer, Bob Horn, uh, shout out to him. Um, Bob has a very very detailed mix that he's already worked on a lot and isn't looking for you to revolutionize the wheel. He's looking for you to put some final touches, get the client a little bit happier with the end result, but not go so far that you've changed the mix or changed the groove. He always talks about make sure that uh, the groove is the same, you know, because he's listening to it from a musical standpoint on his mixes. Now, there are other people who will listen to their mix and send me it uh, and say like, hey, I like where it's at, but I've kind of run out of things that I can do. Can you take it to the next level? And at that point, yeah, that's where mastering on a creative sense is coming in because now you're actually using the tools to actually shape it to try to get a better end result. But that's with knowing what the intended end result is. If I did that type of master for Bob, Bob would not be happy with it. Yeah, I would say from a mixer's perspective, if if I'm confident as a mixer and I can – tell the difference between my mix and your master, I probably won't like it. And I'm not saying that like, I'm going to, it's cool with some differences, but typically speaking, when I put in a, an amount of low end and more importantly, the artist has approved how much low end I put in. You better not touch that low end. Now, what if the artist prefers it? No, that's cool. No, no. So, so prefers the master. Yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm saying, like, you'd better not touch it so much. Like, you better not do more than a dB or two. Yeah. I'll, I'll like, give this two example. Because, um, like, like, I'm working really with, like, an like. artist who they, they approved the mix. They really like it. But once it came to the mastering session, um, I did exactly what the engineer and I talked about doing, which is not changing it but too much. But when I get there, they're like, it's just not enough low end. Like they got the low end right, but it's just not enough. So I threw voice of God on it, did like a one decibel boost. They're like, yes, I love it. Everything. I got a call from the engineer. Like you've changed it too much. It's not this and that. I'm like, well, no, you're who's, right. that, who's approving state, it. And that state, the, the engineer, the artist is right. Whoever's paying for it is right. And that's, that's and where, so if the engineer is paying for it, the engineer's right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's where I always ask, like, who am I having the conversation with at the end of the day? Yeah, so, um, but yeah. rarely ever does the engineer usually pay for it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's important to bring up. Like, even as a mixer, like when I'm, when I'm master, quote unquote mastering, right? Which I think that is like a separate, like what I do is I mix the two bus. In fact, when I send my mixes to a mastering engineer, I will, I might even leave my limiters on. And uh, probably I'll take them off, but everything else before the limiters on my mix bus, I'll definitely leave on. This I won't is even, why. I, if you ask me, if you ask me to take mm. off my plugins on my mix bus, I won't. I will not. That's part of my sound. That is my mix. Yeah. But I'll probably take off the limiters for sure. I'll be honest. I know a lot of people that send me their songs to master with the limiter still on it, and they'll just drop it six dB. You know what I do? I clip gain it back up five dB. 
You know why? Because I'm probably not going to throw another compressor or another limiter back on it. I'm probably going to shape from there. And because they've already kind of decided on their sound, I'm obviously not trying to make a, more than a decibel difference in the actual sound. Mm-hmm. You know, and at that point, you know, why are we going to add compression on the mastering stage? Which is something we'll get into later, like knowing when to do something and when not to do something. Yeah. So, again, from the mastering engineer's perspective, um, traditional mastering, traditional mastering, I, I would say that it's, it is pretty traditional to say that you don't want to change it very much. Now, there are people in the world, including myself, I actually get hired to only do mastering quite often um, by labels. And they don't want me to not change it. They're, they're saving money and their budget is instead of having someone mix it, they're trying me get to get me to what I call mix the two-track. Yeah. Where I'm EQing a two-track and I'm not doing mastering level moves. I am fixing it. to a, Not fixing it, but I'm improving it substantially. I'm mixing a two-track. I don't consider this mastering necessarily. I'll call it mastering for the sake of like semantics there, just to avoid confusion. Um, but I don't, technically I don't consider that mastering. I call that mixing a two-track. Yeah. And that is very important and it's feasible, but like that's one of those things where unless they specifically ask you for it and or you have a relationship with the client already, um, that's one of those things that I do not recommend doing from the get-go. You should not just start like yeah. doing dramatic EQ movements and compression movements without like just being hired as a mastering engineer. Like, yeah. that, that's probably not a first, that's not a safe move to make. Yeah. I'll be honest, the other day I got uh, sent a song to master and uh, the mixer sent his master and my master together um, because, uh, in his own opinion, uh, my master might have changed a little too much of his mix. But all I did was not anything additive. I did, like, dynamic cuts, very, very, very narrow, like, one to two decibel kind of cuts um, in, like, the mid-range, which cleared it up so much that it sounded like it had more bass, sounded like it had more top end, but... It wasn't anything more than like one, two decibel cuts at maybe like five points max. And that was it because same thing. They sent me a mix with a limiter on it because they said they didn't want any added compression. Um, he sent both mixes off to the to the artist because um, he said, you know, I really like my version. I feel like yours changed a little too much of it. But, you know, he's, I'm going to send it off anyways just to get the artist approval on either uh, without any markings of which one's which. Mine got chosen, and the main reason was that the artist really liked that it felt like there was more low-end and things of that nature. So sometimes if you're mastering for the sake of changing balances and all that kind of stuff, you actually end up really just kind of losing out sometimes because if you have access to the mix like this guy did, you could have just changed one or two things you know, in the mix. Don't worry about doing it in the master because the things I was trying to correct, which I let them know about, was there's a little bit of cloudiness in, like, the vocal. There's a little bit of cloudiness in the guitars. There's something going on here. But he said he really liked it, but that the artist wanted a mastering engineer to touch it, which at that point was kind of a red flag for me. I was like, well, why does the artist still want it to go through another stage? Yeah. So, um, and I think to get even more meta... Sometimes I think that was something that determines like you were kind of touching on this. I'm, I'm kind of piggybacking a little bit on mm-hmm. this is like for this involves mixers too, not just mastering engineers. I think 
a really good mixer and a really good mastering engineer is able to understand that some things that sound technically incorrect is what is making it, what is giving the song its vibe. So, if you say, okay, this needs, this distortion needs to be fixed and try to fix that, that may change the vibe a little bit too much. Yeah. And going back to what you said that we were talking about later, which is a good time to talk about would be now, is the hardest and most the most difficult skill to learn and to obtain in the industry is the ability to know when not to do something. I think that is that is an overlooked talent and ability, something that you have to like focus on and try your very best. And it comes down to one specific idea, which is the idea that you need to use your emotions when mixing and mastering. The music, the mix, the master is just a vehicle to translate and um, to to transport the emotion to the audience. And if the intended emotion of the artist was to have it bop, uh, really hyper-compressed, and just really aggressive, then you probably should keep it that way. Or if it's the opposite, if, if the intended audience and the, the artist's intention is to keep it really in, in li- easy listening with incredible dynamics that's more meant to sound like a classical piece in, in vibe and in nature then you probably don't want to use any compression. It's, this is one of those things that I think is extremely underrated as a skill. And when, when we say things like a mastering engineer did too much or a mixing engineer did too much, it's usually because they changed the vibe too much. There are ways that you can improve the vibe. And so um, I don't think that doesn't, that doesn't mean you just shouldn't touch it at all. Uh, but You should be very decisive in the moves you make. Yeah. Nothing hey. in um, nothing in the mastering bus is ever automatic, is it? It shouldn't be. No. They're, like anybody that's downloading, like or like, I have this chain. I, I really, really don't like the concept of chains. Yeah. Like people doing the same thing. This is what I do every single time. No, like, for I, instance, like a vocal chain. I think that's silly. Yeah. Like, and I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not condemning anybody that does that. But if you ever get to the point where your mentality is my chain for this, my master chain, my mixing chain, my vocal chain, if that you're means in a paid role, you're probably not thinking about what you're doing anymore. Yeah, you're just automatically responding to whatever's been presented to you, and by automatically responding, we're not even putting any thought behind it. It's just cool. I got this. Great. I'm gonna throw my stuff on it. Just tune it up a little bit, and then done. I, I do think that that's the problem with chains. As, yeah. as, as soon as things become automatic, you're no longer learning nor progressing. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, you can say, I put on this chain and then adjust a couple of the things. So I'm not really using the chain. I'm, just, I'm still adjusting. It's like, well, there's so many other plugins in your folder. Like, why don't why? you experiment with more of them? Like, yeah. why don't you, like, buy, like, at least bypass stuff and, and put them back yeah. on? Like, use, like, just as long. I do think the best skill, and this is something, actually, I have a story to tell. But I think this is a skill that is very important, the ability to like bypass and, and like use your ears. I think this is the, the one thing that I could teach anybody is the ability to trust your own ears. Like honestly speaking, between the two of us and our mm-hmm. hearing damage that we have as little or as much as it may be, I guarantee there's many people out there in the world that's listening to this right now that have much better ears than us physically. No, oh, I bet you there is. Yeah. But that being said, um, what we have is – I trust my ears much more than the next person. I've trained yep. my ears, uh, which has turned into trust. 
when I make moves, it's deliberate. And I'm not, so I think that's what makes a big difference. Anyway, so uh, on that note, um, I have a student. So I teach one-on-one lessons to two people. And um, if you're interested in doing that, you can hit me up. I only have two spots available at any given time. I'm, I might be willing to take on a third. So if you DM me and convince me, I might be willing to do that. But I'm really not trying to do more. Um, and, uh, but one of my students right now, I need to get a testimony from him. I, he say, he claims that in a month of doing lessons with him, he's learned more than all of his years in college and both of his online programs that he's doing outside of my stuff. That sucks. Yeah. But is good for you. Yeah. yeah. Like that sucks for him, but that's good for you. <laughs> so one of the things, one of the things, so until it's to the point where he's a mastering engineer or trying to be a mastering engineer and one of his mixer friends that he was mastering for He's like, I've never sent a mix off to like a gram- multi-Grammy winning big time mastery engineer. I want to hear what it sounds like. So out of his own pocket, he forked many hundreds of dollars for a single song and uh, got it back. And then also told my student, my friend, um, and said, hey, just for funsies, I just want to hear what your master sounds like in comparison. We had a lesson. And I said, you should do this, you should do this. And, and he, he kind of like had his own thing. It wasn't for that song. And then he took the things that we talked about, most importantly, the ability of trusting your ears mm-hmm. and really making intentional decisions. They did the mix and they did a blind shootout. Both the artist the, and the engineer did a blind shootout of which master they liked better. They liked my student's master more. That's good. Isn't that incredible? And, and so... It's incredible. Someone that doesn't have Grammys, someone that's, that doesn't have recognition, as long as you, you will lose if you're not intentional. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that the guy that has the Grammys, the big dude, wasn't intentional and he, everything's really automatic. I don't think that's it at all. That's not what I'm claiming at all. But, but it does actually happen. I mean, both me and you have a mutual client that we've worked with that hires a lot of these guys, too. And I, he's given the same notes for both of us, where he's like, I don't know why, I, like, you guys got the sound better than they did. Yeah. And so yeah. it doesn't matter what level you are. If you learn to trust your ears, if you do things deliberately, that goes so far. Yeah. It really does. Um, okay, so now let's talk about from a mixing standpoint. Okay, I mixed a song. Now mm-hmm. I want to master it because I'm, I'm going to master it myself. Mm-hmm. So first off, uh, when I do that, so most of my stuff unless it's higher budget and they've requested specifically, most of my stuff I master myself. And the reason is not because that I do a better job, although I'm definitely not convinced that I do a worse job mm-hmm. than these master engineers. <laughs> I'm not claiming that I'm better than them. Um, you do a more decisive but, job. Yeah, I, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I'm doing it mostly because that's my mix process. I mix it to the end. I do recommend all mix engineers, like you take the song to 100%. Yeah. It's like you do not take it to what you think is 98% and thinking that the mastering engineer is going to take it to 100. I've, I've said this before. Like mixing engineer's job is to take it to 100%. You finish that track. If they released it as is, it's done. It's limited. You got everything. If it, if it needs to be limited, it means it's limited. It is done and can be released right then and there. The mastering engineer's job is to take it to 101 to 102%. Some place that wasn't necessary, but it does help. Yeah. It's a place that you didn't quite see, and it was beyond the horizon, that it didn't know existed. That, that's kind of what I consider the mastering engineer's job to be. Anyway, so... Um, oh, I need to hydrate. We have some people redeeming hydrate on here. I'm not coming out. Sorry, I finished mine. 
Uh, but I do think um, with that, I recommend that if you're going to master something, that you at least take a day off and don't listen to your mix on headphones. Like you literally just for 24 hours, just don't listen to her. For 12 hours, just don't listen to the song at all. And then you go into mastering. That being said, if you're able to train your ears to stay uh, subjective for long enough, I rarely ever like take breaks. I go directly into mastering. I mm. do not recommend that, but that's what I do. Yeah. And um, less is more. Okay, less is more. And after I do that and I need to do mix revisions, I leave that stuff on and I just like mix around it. Sometimes I like deactivate everything while I'm like doing the revision and then turn it back on. Um, but that is very much an intentional part of my sound. Mm-hmm. My mentor, Leslie Brathwaite, who I need to hit up and try to get him on the show eventually, uh, he is very adamant about absolutely nothing on the mix bus, on the master bus. Absolutely nothing. And if you can't get that glued sound and if you can't get that nice saturated tone from mixing the individual tracks and buses, then that's a mix issue. You should not be – like he, he – well, I'm not saying that he looks down on these people. He definitely doesn't look down on any any sort of technique or something. But for him specifically, his belief process is to get it to sound as good as possible without doing anything on the mix bus, not to rely on the mix bus. Um, he does put a limiter on the mix bus before sending it to clients, sending demos to clients. And that's, that's something that he uh, stressed a lot, like the importance mm-hmm. of doing that. So make sure that it's competitively loud and not just sending a uh, a very quiet mix. Okay, Lou, I know your process is different. Tell us about when you master, quote-unquote master, um, do mix bus processing, when you do mastering by itself versus mixing into mastering. Okay. Um, When I'm mixing into mastering, I'm very much like Leslie. Less is more. Uh, In the sense that I may add some multiband compression just to help shape things if I feel like something's poking out a little too much. But I'm a big believer in automation, so usually if something's poking out, I'll just automate it down a bit. Um, yeah, as far as mixing into my master bus, uh, like Inflator sometimes pops up because I really like that. Inflator's dope. Yeah, it, it has like that parallel-esque uh, sound to it um, without having to do too much extra to get that kind of sound with other plugins and all that. So I really like Inflator. But... You know, I recently read, I don't know if you're part of uh, Jesse Ray's uh, Discord, but he talked about using Inflator to find corrections, you know, and that's what I've been mainly using Hmm. it for so that I can use it not at all. You know, I use it to kind of find where some problems exist, and that way I can actually more confidently take things off of my master bus. Now, Ozone I use all the time. Shout out to Ozone for sponsoring the podcast, but I use Ozone maybe only three modules i'll use like uh, the dynamic eq to do like some fine point shaping um maybe actually the spectrum shaper is actually really nice for like taming some top end if you're having some issues in the top end overall um and the low end focus but even then the low end focus really just sounds like a side chain on the low end so you could just better tame your low end but when i'm actually mastering for other people uh, one of the biggest things that I kind of focus on, like I said, have the conversation with the person that you're mastering for before you do it. So you understand what they're after. Some people want you to shape it. Some people don't. In fact, uh, like DK said, he doesn't want to hear the difference. If you can hear the difference, it's too much. Um, 
that's usually not the end result of mastering, depending who you work with. Like I know with Mike Tucci, he gets hired a lot for his sound. Um, but the people that he's also mastering for are also really hired for their sound too. So there's this careful balance of understanding. Like if you're going to shape somebody else's song in the mastering stage, why are you shaping it that way? What was the intended end goal? And if you don't actually understand what the end goal is, no matter what you do to the master, you may actually be working backwards. Yeah. You know? I, I do think that when I master for the sake of just mastering, and it's mm -hmm. not like the mixing a two-track, it's like actually mastering, mm -hmm. I will genuinely do, genuinely do what I would have wanted if I was the mixer. And, yeah. and like, I think it is harder for me to do the least amount possible than it is for me to mix a two track. I think it's genuinely more difficult to do less yeah. than it is to do more. And I think this is a mistake that most people make. They think that they're doing very little, but they're still doing too much. And it's, it's really difficult. You have to, to A-B a lot in the mastering stage. And this is why you see, like, uh, there's monitor controllers specifically designed for the mastering stage for specifically mastering engineers, not just for any engineer. Reason being is because you may want to A-B certain hardware if you're using hardware or certain, uh, like, for instance, in Pro Tools and Logic, for some reason this is not an option. They should make this an option for a mastering option. Um, but where you can actually change the order of... Uh, you can change the order of where the inserts are. So like Manly has a, a mastering monitor controller where you can actually put the hardware inserts into the controller and you can rearrange the order just to make sure that, hey, you know, I like to see Q change, but what if we fed into the compression stage like this? You can always rearrange your plugins. It can just uh, get a little annoying sometimes. But yeah, really just kind of focus in on what you're trying to do. I, I recommend that if you're mastering right now or learning how to master, this is homework that I gave my student this last week, is for your next few songs, only use the first five inserts. That includes your EQ, that includes your compressor, that includes any saturation, and your final limiter or limiters. Yeah. Only use five inserts. Try that. And then, then try to get to the point where you could comfortably release stuff with only four and then three. And it's more of a training of doing less and less and less and, and, and more. I think that's like a really good way of practicing the idea of practicing the idea of doing less. I, th I, th I really believe that that is important. All right. Um, that's kind of it. This episode went longer than I thought it would. I know this was already a short episode, but this, this is a longer episode than I thought it would go. Um, in general, yeah. if, oh, the last thing that I want to talk about, the functional difference between master on, in Pro Tools, master bus versus like an aux, a mix bus. Yeah. Uh, any inserts on a mix bus is pre-insert. Pre-fader. Pre-fader. So that means, sorry, yeah, pre-fader. Yeah. So that means that any sort of limiting and compression that you put on the mix bus or the aux track that the aux track then if you turn down and automate the mix bus fader it'll keep the same amount of compression and limiting it'll just turn the volume down after the inserts but on the master bus for some reason uh, there's probably a functional reason for this but that I'm not aware of I'm not I'm ignorant about is the I 
is, is post fader. So that means if you turn down, if you have limiting and compression and then you fade out the track with the master bus, it'll stop compressing it. It'll like, it'll feed the inserts less. So if you want a smooth, consistent fade out, it's better to do that on an aux track or a mix bus than a master bus. Mm -hmm. Yes. Or if you want to feed um, the compressor, if you want to do a little bit more compression into it, like you can automate the master bus yep. instead of automating the mix bus, you know, if you want yep. to give it a little bit more volume. Uh, a different technique. So that's just something to be aware about. There is a functional difference, um, and that's... That's really the, the thing that – so shout out to Young Lit Hippie for talking about that. All right. So on that note, uh, we are sponsored by Isotope. We're really, really, really grateful for Isotope for sponsoring the show. Um, they have amazing products, especially for mixed bus processing. You talked about low-end focus, which I use sometimes. Yeah. Their exciters are great. The limiters are great, both vintage and new. Um, I do think it's worth getting the advanced suite yeah. versus the standard suite. Um, cause you get a few vintage tools that is very, very, very useful. So if you want to get 10% off any of your Isotope products, go to isotope.com backslash MM podcast. Or if you'd like, um, they offer a seven day trial period for all their plugins. If you go to that website, they'll extend that trial period to a full 30 days. That's right. A full 30 days. If you want to check that out. Once again, thank you for Isotope. Um, and all on all the service, all the plugins that they make, all the software that they makes that makes our job easier. And on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Hey, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug. Did you know that I write kids' books? If you have children, nieces, nephews, I have books that are totally available for free or $10 on Amazon for physical copies. You can go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash kidsbooks to get access and learn more about that. Thank you for all of your support. Now let's get back to the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.